You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. In-depth conversations. Matchup breakdown. Everything a Steelers fan can want. This is Fourth Down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. And that's how they do it out in Vegas. What happens out there is supposed to stay out there, but I'll happily let the Steelers bring this one home. 23-18, the final over the Raiders. A lot to break down, including some wild decisions by Josh McDaniels late in this game. Uh, Some questionable calls in the fourth quarter that perhaps kept the Raiders in it a little longer than we were comfortable having them in it. And the return, at least in small measure, of a Steelers offense that we had started to see glimpses of this preseason. And, of course, in what will heretofore be known as the Levi Wallace and the Night Terrors game. Because, A, (laughs) that sounds like a great name for a band. But, B, because that's what it'll end up being for Jimmy G when he looks back on this one. T.J. Watt in Jimmy G's kitchen all night. Levi Wallace making us look like fools after a really bad first few series, and it all comes together for a 23-18 Steelers win. Welcome in to a live post-game edition of Fourth Down in the Steel City. We are live on the 93.7 The Fan Twitter page and live on 93.7 The Fan's YouTube page as well. Hi, I'm Chris Mack. You're watching us right here, and you're seeing myself and my good friend Josh Taylor, and we're going to break it all down for you. If you are listening to this after the fact, and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I missed this Sunday night. I had to get to bed. It's okay. That's why you're subscribed to Fourth Down in the Steel City inside your Odyssey app or wherever you get your pot. You're not subscribed yet. (gasps) Get it together. Do it. Tap on whatever you got to tap on. Click on whatever you got to click on and make sure you're subscribing to get the latest episodes of Fourth Down in the Steel City as soon as they are available And yeah, you may be listening to this on your way into work on Monday morning. In any event, we appreciate you joining us. Be sure to like, uh, leave a review, rate, respond. Feedback on the YouTube page is welcome as well. All of it. Bring it to us. We are here to break down the Steelers' big win out in Vegas. Josh, Um, this was not what I expected. I'll be honest. I didn't expect the offense to figure some things out. We can talk about the defense plenty because there's lots to talk about there in a good way. Uh, I think mostly good. Yeah, like 90% good on the defensive side of things. Um, But the offensive side of the ball, after a rough first couple series, much like, you know, the secondary kind of figured some things out after a rough first couple of series on the offensive side of the ball. Once they got through those first couple of series and, and they kind of found their sea legs, they were doing things in the second half that we've been asking them to do for weeks. And that this is the first time made you comfortable, I think, and feeling like they're starting to find an identity of sorts. And the first two series, especially on offense, did not look the way the first two series looked in the previous games, because the previous games, they weren't even, they weren't even able to really run the ball even somewhat successfully in those first couple series. This time around, they actually did run the ball well. They just got third and short and couldn't convert. But they at least were moving the ball in the run game. They were getting four, five yards chunks out of carries because right. they had a third and one on that first drive. And they just failed to get it because Mason Cole got beat. And in that particular situation, you can't get beat on third and one. 
and especially the way he got beaten when your gap is where the ball's going. That that's that's yeah. something that cannot happen. He and James but, Daniels both blew it on that play, I thought. They but both yeah, got beat. Your interior and, line can't look as bad as their interior line looked early on. Exactly. And, and now as the game went on, you saw them start to make some adjustments there. You saw them at least block better in the t- interior part of the offensive line. You saw the you saw the chunk still happening in the run game. They were still coming around. They may not have been as frequent, but they were coming. And you saw the run game start to build up some kind of consistency. Mm -hmm. That's when you saw the big things happen. That's when you saw things off of play action. That's when you saw plays in the middle of the field. That's when we started seeing, you know, Kenny Pickett operating and staying in the pocket because now he didn't have four or five guys in his kitchen because he was getting pass protection. And you and I have been talking about this since before the San Francisco game. Get the run game going. Get some play action. Work the middle of the field, especially this week. We talked about working the middle of the field. And today, or I should say tonight, they finally did it. This is finally what we've been asking for for so long. Was it, you know, exactly an A-plus script? Was it everything we wanted? No. But at least they started showing the things that we've wanted them to do for some time now. Well, and I I feel like they, they hit their stride, and this offense kind of hit their peak tonight on that touchdown drive. Uh, it was the last touchdown drive, uh, I, I think it was. It, the, yeah, the last time they scored the, uh, their, their final touchdown, it was the Pat Fryermuth drive um, mm-hmm. that ended in the Pat Fryermuth touchdown, I should say. First play, we hit George Pickens quickly and let him run after the catch. Picks up 17. All right, that's, that's, that's going to have to be a staple from here on out. We know that. Feed Mr. Pickens and let him catch the ball while he's on the move and keep moving. And then Jalen Warren picks up a few on what was sort of an oddly designed play, but it worked. Um, Then Kenny Pickett hits Jalen Warren on a nice little dump off. Jalen Warren doing what he does, goes north immediately, ends up picking up 16. I mean, they they only faced one second down on this drive. That was it. Everything else was first down after first down. He hits Fryermuth for 14. Then Najee has a a big run, picks up 17 on the ground. Um, And then... After all that, they've done. They've touched on just about everything, right? They're able to. It's it's not a, a it's it's not the best sell job in the world on the play fake, but it's enough just it to enough. get guys just to get guys to pause for a split second on the play fake. Kenny boots out the other way. Thank you, my God. Thank you, whoever. I don't care if it happened accidentally. I don't care if it was Matt Canada's <laughs> decision. If it was Kenny Pickett's decision, I don't care. If some old lady at a slot machine late last night with a cigarette with an ash about three inches long looked over at Matt Canada and said, Matt, you got to get him on the move, honey. <laughs> I don't care how it happened. They got Kenny on the move tonight. Um, you sound like the lady in the subway coming to America. Go on, honey. Take honey. a chance. <laughs> Take a chance on love. Take a chance on play action and bootlegs. Move the pocket, Matt. And that's what they did. I love that. I love that drive. It felt like there was, was sequencing on that drive. It yeah. felt like there was quality play design for, I think, 90% of that drive. And then the punctuation marks, you know, you stick your flag in, in, in the sand, so to speak, is that final play, the play action, the bootleg, the tight end in the corner of the end zone for the Friar Muth touchdown. It was it, that drive right there gives me hope that they can. That's the kind of drive we would we saw in the preseason, Josh. Yep. It, it you you hit on a lot of points in that drive, but we saw them run the ball efficiently. Mm-hmm. We saw them make good decisions in the passing game. Or so I should say, we saw Kenny Kenny Pickett make good decisions in the passing game. We also, we also saw play action. And, and and this is the thing that I think we saw more of as the game went along, not only from a play-calling aspect, but even from Kenny Pickett and how, the, how he plays his game. Mm-hmm. We saw him do things that he's good at. We saw him use his strengths more as his game went along. And that drive was perfectly emblematic of it. I thought late in the first half was emblematic of it because he was making plays with his feet. He was running with the ball. Granted, one point yeah. got called back. Because George Pickens didn't get himself set. But, well, but that play, that plays a really good example of when he's example. at his yes. best. Yes. Because instead of A, leaving the pocket early, which has been a, a, a big symptom of, of Pickett's play. Real, real first, bad habit of this. First yeah. few weeks of this season. Rather than getting happy feet despite, a, I mean, everything, even though things broke down, 
he handled it perfectly. He extended the play just a little bit, just enough to give himself an extra look downfield. But when he knew it was time to go, bang, he went. He was decisive. And that's the one thing we've been asking Pickett to be after the first two weeks is be more confident, be more decisive. When you read something, read it and don't second guess yourself. Go. If it leads to a mistake, so be it. But that's that's what you're going to get when Pickett plays decisively and confidently is, okay, pocket's broken down. I got a split second to find my next, you know, progress to my next read. It's not there. Okay, I'm gone. No, no sitting there dancing and waiting and looking and bang, taking a sack or running into a sack or making a poor decision and throwing a pick or just an ugly ball. That's what he's got to do more of. And I think that's another big part of what this offense did tonight was Pickett started to play confidently again from about the middle of the second quarter on. It, it, I was waiting for you to use the word confidently because it was the only thing we hadn't said yet because we mm-hmm. said it before after the Cleveland game, this offense did not have a lot of confidence. It did not look like it wanted to be out there with the express purpose of scoring points in effort to win a football game. It just right. did not look like that. This time around, especially after, like you mentioned, those first couple drives, we started to see this offense work with some kind of intent to move the ball down the field. We'll go old school and say he tried to matriculate the ball down the field <laughs> with the express purpose of scoring points and winning a football game. I- I've talked about this a lot over the years when we talk about what offenses are supposed to do. And I've said this so much. I said, look, you're an offense. Your job is to attack. That is specifically yep. what you're there to do is attack. T- tonight, they attack. They were out there intending to attack. And they were out there with the express purpose of what offense is, is to exploit your enemy's weaknesses. And they did that. I thought they did that going after certain parts of the secondary. I thought they did that in the middle of the field. I thought they did that with the run game. I thought that was a lot more pointed and a lot more intentional with how they did it, as opposed to, okay, well, let's just try something and see if it works and then go from there. They said, no. Here's what we're going to do. Here's where we're going to go with the ball. And here's how we're going to do it. And the results were there. Yeah. And they came out multiple tight ends early on, even though, like you said, the third down play didn't work the way we wanted it to on the handoff to Hayward. Um, We've been screaming for that for a while. They ended the game in multiple tight end sets as they're shutting things down, um, giving themselves the option to. The one thing that was frustrating for me in the first half, despite the Calvin Austin touchdown, was, you know, I've got to see you be more, we talk about Pickett being more decisive, be more decisive in in checking out of plays. Like if you get to the line and you see eight in the box. Now, I don't know if this is Matt Canada not letting him do this. I would think that can't be the case at this point. I mean, this is his 15th game as a, as this, as an an NFL quarterback, He, he better be allowed to check out of a play at the line. If he reads, you know, a heavy box or whatever it may be a hot read. So be it. Um, maybe it's just Pickett wanting to not wanting to overanalyze. I I don't know what it is, but I got to see a little bit more of that because we're still getting these running backs, Najee Harris in particular, because when they see Najee in the game and Kenny under center, they simply go to Warren Sharp's Twitter account and go, Oh yeah. 90% of the time that's a run. Um, And you know, they've got to be better about checking out of that when that's the pre-snap read. Um, That's still something that needs to be worked on, but I, it, I'll, I'll take I'll take working on things in a couple of consecutive wins uh, as opposed to working on things and being 0-3. Yeah, I, I want to go back and look at just what happened in certain situations, if they were on shotgun, if they were under center, what the, what the results were. I do want to take a look at that because I thought that was pretty indicative with what Warren Sharp was talking about. But I also feel it, there's there's a cause and effect to that. Yeah. Because it's not just like, okay, this is just what we're going to do regardless of what's going on. No, I think some of that was results-based. I think some of that was the result of, hey, well, we know we can't do this, so we got to do this. Or we know we can't do this, so you got to do this. There wasn't much of that in this game. There wasn't much of, okay, we're going to do this because we're not able to do that. It was, okay, we know what we're able to do, so we're going to have our game plan based on what we're able to do. I think a lot of that was based on the fact that the run game couldn't get going, the offensive line did not look as cohesive as it did in the preseason. And I know the preseason doesn't matter as much, and that's right. fine. But there, there is a level of understanding of doing what you're doing, knowing what your job is and doing it. And we at least saw that in the preseason. It didn't look like that here. It looked like they were running like an entirely different playbook. 
because yeah. in the preseason, we saw bodies clearing out bodies on the offensive line. We didn't see that very well the first two games, but tonight we saw bodies clearing out bodies on the offensive line, especially in the second half. I thought Chris yeah. Collinsworth did a really good job of pointing this out because it was something I wanted, Chris. We talked about this before. I didn't mm-hmm. like how they would use Najee Harris for these zone blocking runs yeah. because it doesn't fit his running style. So no. what did they do in the second half? And Collinsworth pointed it out. He said, it, like they, it looks like they got rid of the zone running plays. And they were running him with some gap blocking schemes. You had bodies moving people out of the way and creating space. And you saw the difference for both Najee Harris and for Jalen Moore. Now, granted, I think it'll be the same result for Jalen Moore because I think he's a very confident zone blocking runner. I think his skill set fits that. But you saw them clearing out bodies and space for these guys to move through. And I thought they made all the difference in the run game. And I'll say it again because a lot of people were trying to tell you it doesn't matter. Folks. For an offensive lineman, for a quarterback, when you can start moving bodies and keeping them off the ball and getting out of the deep uh, backfield as quickly, it matters because you saw the difference. Najee Harris, 65 yards on 19 carries, which, I mean, that's the most productive day he's had on the ground this year. Um, You going back, that's the second half of last year. This was the kind of game that we saw, like, I want to say New Orleans was close to a hundred yard game since he was a 90 yard game, but this was mm-hmm. the style of running, you know, he had 85 against Atlanta. Um, right. This was Carolina. This, he ran pretty strong. Yeah. Another eight, I think I want to say like 24, 25 carry 85, 90 yard game there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this is the kind of running style that we saw from Najee in the final nine games last year, which was, you know, good blocking up front, Everybody from tackle to tackle, and again, we know we want the tight ends involved, so include especially Darnell Washington when it comes to blocking. Get them in the – get them them blocking straight ahead. Pull a guard if you want to. Okay, I'm here for a little trap game here and there. Um, And they tried. They did. I I saw Isaac Sayamalu at one point, five, six yards downfield, you Mm -hmm. know, looking for dudes to snatch. Um, And that's how this run game works best because of the style of runner that Najee Harris is we saw it in the second half last year it's why they went out and got Sayamalu it's why they drafted Broderick Jones so that they can hope to get continue that style of run game Um, and to your point that you made off the top it's what opens up space for Pickett and his receivers later in the game it's I know people don't want to hear this but you you brought it up a couple I want to say a week week and a half ago you know Yes, Matt Canada has his flaws, and they are large, and they are many. Nobody's going to argue against that. Nobody's trying no. to tell you that this is, you know, Air Coriel over here, okay? It's <laughs> Matt Canada, right? He's had one good year of offensive coordinating, and it was at Pitt, right? Uh, with George Aston as his fullback. Um, nothing against George Aston, but it, the point is this. There is a part of every scheme in every system, including Matt Canada's, that relies on being effective late in games based on what you set up early in the game. And in this offense's case, it's get just enough breathing room in the run game early on that it can be effective to setting things up later in the game. And I felt like that at least that portion of their identity, we were able to carve out a little bit tonight. I'm going to throw a baseball analogy in here that's going to completely confuse people, but I'm going to do it anyway. And you and I have both worked around enough baseball as as, Mm -hmm. uh, pregame and postgame hosts to to understand this concept. You hear pitchers talking about, you know, being able to locate early with their fastball. Locate early, maybe get some off speed that first time through the lineup. And then the second time through, okay, maybe you'll show a breaking ball. Maybe you'll throw a slider here and there to offset the fastball. Maybe you're throwing a curveball just to change speeds a little bit. But you don't want to show everything right away. You don't want to show your entire repertoire the first time through the lineup. You want to say something so that way when they come back, they can't just say, well, he did this last time, so I'm going to expect this here. And that's all you have. No, you want to have something saved back there that you can show something a little bit different the next time around. This offense was not doing that. This offense was, they weren't locating with the fastball in the first couple of games. They weren't really mixing it. They weren't really, you know, trying to stretch out the repertoire. They weren't doing that. There wasn't even a second or time through the line. Just, it were, just didn't matter. They were trying to throw knuckle curves just to prove that right. they could do it, it. They were just trying to get it across the plate the yeah. first couple of games. This time around, 
Yeah, like we mentioned, it wasn't exactly precise the first couple of drives, but at least you saw seeds being shown, being sown that, okay, at least they're moving the ball a little bit when they run. At least they're getting four yards here. They're capable of getting five yards, which for this offense is a huge, huge mm-hmm. progression. So when you get to the latter parts of the game, when you get to the third quarter and the fourth quarter, when you line up and they're expecting one thing to happen and you move with something else, or they start bringing out formations and personnel groupings that we hadn't seen in the first two games because this team really wasn't in position to do it. Now you're starting to see the difference of what this offense could do. Now it looks more exotic because the defense can't expect everything that you're going to throw at them because they haven't seen everything you're going to throw at them. And the circumstances don't dictate everything you can throw at them. Now you're playing with the lead as opposed to playing from behind, which is an entirely different concept that this offense probably was not used to after the first couple of games. It, it, it's amazing how when the circumstances change yeah. and how you know things are working, how it opens up other things. We we're talking about, I'm like, look, they're run blocking, pass protection, they're throwing them over the field. Where are we? They look at different offense when some of the smaller things work and it leads to the bigger things. Yeah, you know what else I like is when I look at the targets and how they were distributed in very, the passing game. Well, yes, they, but they went the the most targets went to your two biggest playmakers, yes. Pickens and Austin. Both see six targets. Um, Austin only turns them into two catches and seventy two yards, and well, <laughs> all seventy two of them came on that one play. But still, yeah, one of them was pretty big. One catch was really big. <laughs> yeah. and that's all you needed. Pickens four for seventy five. I like that, and then. Fryermuth and Robinson each saw four targets as well. Robinson actually came down with all four balls. Uh, Jalen Warren, another four targets as well. Like, that's a nice distribution in the pass game. That tells me guys are getting open. And furthermore, Pickett is finding them when they're open and not locking in on a single target. As much as we'd like to believe that we can pump the ball, that Kenny Pickett can pump the ball to George Pickens, uh, like, the Raiders did Devontae Adams tonight, 20 targets, 13 catches. That's going to get taken away most yeah. nights, especially with Deontay Johnson out of the lineup. Um, so the fact that Kenny Pickett was not locking on to any one single receiver and was spreading it around, but still getting it to his most electric playmakers or trying to more often than not. Um, I, I like those numbers too, Josh. Ends up going for what? two two twenty eight in the air uh, and a pair of touchdowns. The first multi-touchdown game Kenny Pickett has had since the 2021 ACC championship game, which I pointed out on social media, on Twitter, X, whatever we want to call it these days, and immediately had the Pitt fans coming at me. That's not meant to denigrate Kenny Pickett. No, it's not a dig. It's not a dig. No, no. It's meant to yes. It's meant to celebrate. We got multiple touchdown passes from Kenny tonight. That's a he looks closer to that guy. Yes, it's like he looks closer to that guy than the one we saw in the two games previous, and that's what you want. Here's how I know our criticism of Pickett has been pretty on point. It's because half the audience seems to go, "You're just a Kenny Pickett hater because you went to Penn State, Chris," and the other half of the audience goes. Oh, all you do is make excuses for Kenny Pickett all the time. No, no we're, we're just calling things as we see them. Can, Imagine can I, that. Can I give the disclaimer? Yeah. Can I give the disclaimer when it comes to the whole local universities and colleges thing mm-hmm. and, and assessing their football players? Folks, here's the disclaimer. I went to the one school in town <laughs> that's actually been to its, its uh, subdivisions playoff and won a game. Okay. It ain't Penn, it ain't Penn State, and it ain't West Virginia. It's these guys, okay? So hate me all you want, but at least my team's been there. (laughs) So if I tell you your your guy did good, he did good. If if your guy did bad, he did bad. I don't care where he went to school, okay? I don't care. Switch call down the middle. And by the way, by the way, my alma mater scored seventeen in West Virginia. But continue. (laughs) I don't don't know if that's. I, I mean, that's kind of damning with faint praise, 17 on WV's, WVU's defense these days. I, I could think of a team that didn't. That's all I'm saying. Believe it there. Boo. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drink my Boo drink city. Style Boo, Boo city. Boo city. Um, if you're on YouTube, feel free to leave a comment. We appreciate you doing so as you're watching a live edition. If you're watching it at about 12.06 a.m. Eastern on Monday morning now, a fourth down in the Steel City. Um, some of the feedback I've already seen includes, well, maybe the Raiders just suck. Well, yeah, the Raiders aren't good. But guess what? 
I don't know how good the Browns are either. Although they went out and won again today. Um, <laughs> so like, all you can do is play the teams that are put in front of you on your schedule. That's the schedule. We talked after week one. Yeah. We talked after week one, how that was going to be the most difficult game of the season in week one. The Niners are the best team on their schedule. We and warned you like folks. We yeah. warned you. We warned you it was going to get easier from here. We tried and, to tell you. And hopefully it gets even easier next week, right? And it they start to put theory. some things together in theory. Although I don't know if you saw Steven Nelson's ready for the visit from the Steelers. He's going to push up on Mike T said and, and ask what, what he was thinking and letting him go. Mm, okay. Right. Here nor there. <laughs> yeah, really, Steve. <laughs> this, this is who they had on the schedule tonight. I, I don't know what you want to do about the Raiders not being any good. They still beat him. Was it a little too yes. close for comfort in the end? Sure. Did they get the benefit of Josh McDaniels making a terrible decision? Yes, but they still won. Which, by the way, if I am in charge in Las Vegas tonight, I am taking Josh McDaniels' key card before he leaves Allegiant Stadium. (laughs) That is head coaching malpractice. I understand that there are lots of very big questions to be asked about the Steelers offense and how, how it can perform series after series after series, but they had started to put some things together in the second half tonight in Vegas. And there's no reason at that point, if you're Josh McDaniels to roll the dice and say, well, we think we can stop you. No, you're still going to need a touchdown anyway. Even if you make the field goal, just what do you go for it on fourth down? And he was given an opportunity at a redo And he still did it. He still did it. I don't know how this man, his NFL coaching record, Josh, Josh McDaniels, is now uh, 18 and 30. I was going to say it ain't good. No, no. 18 and 30 qualifies as ain't good. 18 and 30. This man should not be a head coach. 333 in percentage? uh, Yeah, Yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. 18 divided by 48? I'll go with it. Sure. It might, I, it might be worse than that. I, I got to do some math. I'm going to do it, math. It might be worse than It's 375. There we go. There we go. It's yeah. not good, like you say. Ain't good. Um, absolutely good. I don't know how this guy still has a job. He might be a, a decent offensive coordinator, or he might have just had Tom Brady. But he is not a good head coach. I mean, you see the Raiders melting down and taking penalties on a key drive in the third quarter when they could have got back into this game. They were getting repeated opportunities to get back in the game, and they kept taking their own penalties and melting down. That's a sign of a poorly coached team. I'm sorry. Chris, let, let's let's ask ourselves a very honest and serious question. How mm-hmm. many guys from that particular coaching tree that Josh McDaniels is from have really turned out to be good head coaches? I can think of one. Literally one, and that guy's not even a head coach right now. He's a yeah. defensive coordinator, and yeah. he's having a tough time. But and I, I can also make some references to another coaching tree that seems to be going down in flames at the moment, but I'll leave that for another day. Yeah. It, I, it, I, but it comes back to the discussion, and this is what you're talking about, how the decisions that are being made in the discipline of it all, because before the fourth quarter, the Raiders were way ahead of the Steelers in penalties until the Steelers got called for like three in one drive because apparently – the officials felt it just wasn't Which, even enough. As an aside, as an aside, the call on Minka, let's just put flags on him. Let's just the put flags play. on him. Let's the just put flags play. on these guys. I mean, when you have the the network's officiating guru saying it's not a good call, then you know it's not a good call. Um, like, just break down exactly what he did on that play. He looked like a guy who said, I'm going to hit you this way because I don't want to kill you the way they don't want me to kill you. Right. And he still got flagged for it. I don't know any other way he can make that hit. And with the effort of bringing, actually bringing Jimmy Garoppolo down to the ground without being penalized. I mean, he had a free shot at him. you got to do something. And the the fact that Cole Holcomb was this close to being flagged too for what was a totally clean and legal hit clean, on Devontae Adams in the middle of the field. Clean legal hit. I went back and looked at the video on it. Uh, I tried to see if somebody had a clip on it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I quote I quote tweeted. I was like, oh, are we, are we hitting tonight? Because that was that was a good football hit. That, yeah. If you want to talk about stuff with the defense, the defense was making some put, football hits tonight. So, yeah. I was let's, excited about that. Let's turn to the defense because I don't have much. After those first couple series, like we talked about, the, fir- the first se- series really in particular, <laughs> where it looked like Levi Wallace and Patrick yeah. Peterson 
were going to do their best uh, Laurel and Hardy impression. Like they were both of them looking around like, what, there's a football game being played here? What? Huh? And Devontae Adams just catching ball after ball, catching the touchdown pass. I was worried it was going to be a night for Devontae Adams, which statistically it still was 13 catches for 172 yards and a couple of touchdowns. But I was worried it was going to be what ended up costing them the game. And credit to Levi Wallace. If anybody wants the receipts from our group chat, we'll share them uh, happily. But like we were crushing this man, crushing this man. There's receipts on Twitter too. We were killing this man. And There's receipts on this show. Yes, <laughs> go back and watch the other episodes from the Dude, last couple weeks. weeks. And he showed up in a big way after that first those first couple series. He had a really, really nice game. I got to give a shout out to my guy, Josh Carney, and not just because his name is Josh. He's actually a good dude. But he had a great reference. And he, he said that Pat P looked like Morgan Burnett in that first drive. And then he hit the perfect qualifier. If you know, you know. Oh, yeah. Because when that touchdown pass to Devontae, the ball was already in Adam's hands. <laughs> and then Pat P's what? looking up like. <laughs> and if you're a Steeler fan over the past couple of years, do you remember Morgan Burnett on this defense? Mm-hmm. Do you know exactly what that kind of play looks like and why it's bad? Yeah. Because that was terrible. Zero but ball. He acquitted awareness. himself too, in fairness. So did Pat. He acquitted himself. Also. He did. I mean, both of these guys end up coming down with picks. Both of the, now the the one that Pat P came down with was a terrible decision by Jimmy Garoppolo, but it's yes. also a decision that's born out of the night terrors that I mentioned earlier that he is going to wake <laughs> up in cold sweats with all night tonight and possibly for the next several weeks because all he's going to hear in the back of his head. You remember the old Under Armour commercials? Click clack, click clack. All he's going to hear in the back <laughs> of his head are T.J. Watts spikes on the ground. Click, clack, click, clack. He's going to wake up in a cold sweat because that's exactly what led to the Patrick Peterson interception. He he heard TJ's footsteps and he just chucked that thing up like a live grenade. Um, and that, it, somebody sent it to me on Twitter. I think I retweeted it. Um, if you could give assists for interceptions, TJ Watt would get an assist for that interception. It's We talked about this leading in, and I, I mentioned that Jimmy Garoppolo had as many touchdown passes yeah. as he had interceptions. He had three of each going into this game. And and our buddy Dave talked about how he hadn't been sacked yet. And I think you and I both had the same reaction of, well, that's going to change something. <laughs> <laughs> both had that face like, well, that ain't going to last forever. And it sure enough didn't. Not with, not with these guys, not with this front, not mm-hmm. with T.J. Watt doing what he did. Not with Alex Highsmith making some of the plays he made. Now, granted, he didn't make as much of an impact as far as the statue was concerned. Not with what Keanu Benton was doing in the second half. It's him getting penetration on the interior. That dude is making himself a case for some yes. snaps and staying on the field. Oh, he, he better. Looked, he, he looked, looked like he was on point in the second half. I was uh, really impressed. Credit to, I don't know if it was Crowley or Muller. I can't remember which one of them tweeted it. I think it was Crowley. Um, it was. It looked like Hargrave-esque. When he brought, bust, I mean, he just quick hands, push, get, getting the body on a guy and, and getting into the backfield right away. The whole defensive yeah. front played really well. After a couple of Josh Jacobs carries early on that had me wondering, oh man, are we going to go through this again? Like we did with Chubb before he got hurt, like we did with McCaffrey. Um, they locked it down. Uh, maybe yeah. again, it's because the Raiders offensive line isn't very good. Oh, well, too bad. They locked it down, and the pass rush had Jimmy G in his fears all night long. Now, there's one thing I want to point out, because you mentioned how they looked the whole front. Mm -hmm. There was a lot better as far as – I should say there was a lot better positioning. They knew exactly where they were. They knew they were lining up. They knew where they wanted to shift, because there was a clip that was up after one second after last week against Cleveland. Somebody was trying to get Keanu Bitten's attention. Either Keanu Bitten or Leal. I think it was Keanu Bitten. And they were trying to get him to shift, and he never did. And the linebacker ended up having to fill the gap that he didn't get into. You didn't see that tonight. You saw these guys lined up in the spots where they wanted to be. You saw them firing off the ball. You saw them trying to make plays. Montrevious Adams did everything but take the ball off Jimmy Garoppolo on that handoff to Josh Higgins in the first half. That's the only thing he did not do on that rep, and that was one of the best reps we've probably seen from him. You just saw a lot more cohesion with that front and how they were beating guys and winning gaps and putting out really quality reps. And T.J. Watts got, what, six sacks already? Is that Six what it is? sacks in three games. 
But Chris, Chris, what is his pass rush win rate? That's, you know, we got to know that one. We got to wait for PFF to give us the numbers. I'm sure Max Crosby had a better game than TJ Watt, even though, let me check the stats here. Max Crosby had how many sacks tonight, Josh? I'm trying to look it up here. Max Crosby had, oh, he had one sack. He did have one. Good good for him. Good for him. I'm sure he had a better game than TJ Watt, who had two sacks, uh, another two tackles for a loss, um, was just all over the field again. Um, Yeah, I don't have much of a complaint about anything with this defense, except that against more versatile or diverse offenses or offenses with more weapons at the ready. Um, you know, Baltimore, I think about in particular in a couple of weeks, once they push beyond That's the fair. bye, when they've got to play Cincy, um, they're going to run into teams with more weapons and better offensive lines. So, it, but again, you can only play who's put in front of you. And this, I think, is just the right time for their schedule to stack up the way it does. It's not quite the Wolverines stacking up central North Northern Michigan technical <laughs> Institute um, in, in weeks one through three, like they like yeah, to do Wofford at home. Yeah. <laughs> but once you get beyond the San Francisco game, like we talked about, the schedule sets up nicely that you had two divisional opponents sandwiched around two teams that you should beat. They should beat the Raiders. They are more talented they, than yeah. the Raiders, and they should certainly go down to Houston and beat the Texans. They are more sure. talented than them and going against the young quarterback who hopefully they can wreak some havoc with. Uh, this is this is a team that should be at least three and two, if not better by the time they get to the bye, which is wild to think about. It, it, uh, let me put this in greater perspective for you because – if we're if we're in and not nothing against Houston, but let's assume because we I think we both expect this to happen, and Greg probably does too, producing the show. He probably expects the Steelers to beat Houston next week. You're talking about going into your fifth game of the season at three and one with a chance to be the clear-cut head and shoulders team at the top of the division, yeah. which is also is wild, very important because here's why this win is big. Not just because the offense got on track and they went on the road and won on primetime TV again. Not just that. Mike Tomlin got his third win in the Pacific time zone. It's not just that. It's also the fact that they are now tied for first place in the division. You are already ahead of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. You're a couple of games ahead of Cincinnati, and you're a game and a half ahead of Cincinnati. You might be two games ahead by the end of the night tomorrow. Yep. So you got yourself in a really good position to go into this game next week on the road, get that win, and now a game before the bye, you are playing for first place in the division. Uh, I'm going to quote Denzel in training day. I just watched it a couple nights ago. You're in a really privileged position to learn a thing or two. Keep your keep your uh, <laughs> mouth shut and your eyes open. Yes. That's where they are. You're right. And, you know, when you start to look at the rest of the schedule, again, beyond the bye, let's let, let's even, you know what, let's even say something, you lose to Baltimore. Because yeah, it's Steelers-Ravens. Yeah. That happens. It does. Divisional game. Let's say you come out of the bye at three and two. Here, let me run down the list. Rams. Okay. Um, at home to the Jags, who did not exactly bathe themselves in glory this weekend. They got whooped by Houston. Yep. Then home on a Thursday night against the Titans. Short week, but you're at home. So even more important that it's a short week. And a Titans team coming in, they got absolutely whooped by Cleveland today. And a coach who's never beaten your head coach. Right. Oh, right. oh but but he's a top he's five. Top five coach, though, Mike Chris. He's top yeah. five. Yeah. And then the Packers uh, come into town 10 days later. And then a couple of divisional games on the road in Ohio, Cleveland and Cincy. Like, there's no reason you don't look at that list of the six games coming out of the bye and look at it four and two as not just realistic, but an, an expectation of sorts. And now if we're talking seven and four going into the last six weeks of the season, when you've got the Cardinals on the schedule, the Patriots, the Colts on the schedule, Wild card's very realistic at that point because all you got to do is go three and three down the stretch. Women's division is realistic at that point. It it's it's still there, especially if you go on that road trip to Ohio and come out with two wins, which I think are both very very attainable at this point. Because I I don't think Cincinnati is the same team that they were last year, and they're definitely not the same team they were two years ago. They're just not. Yeah, I, I just don't see it, but. You know, we don't know what Cleveland's going to be like the second time around because even without Nick Chubb, that offense 
looking really sharp against Tennessee. And it looked like Deshaun Watson might have gotten a little bit of his confidence back. But Although you know, the one the one that he threw directly oh backwards God. like 30 Ooh. yards was something. But yeah, you're right. Really Overall, think, his game was much better this week. I really think he thought he was on another planet when he threw that ball because I don't know what that was. But it it does it does give you perspective. And I'm glad you laid it out the way you did because you're talking about seven and four, maybe even eight and three. And if you're eight and three, let's say you beat Baltimore before the bye. You're you're eight and three in first place in the division. That yeah. is a great position to be in, unless you're Tennessee. Other than that, it's a great position to be in. It you you want something like that, but even seven and four with a really great shot at a at a playoff spot, you're still in the catbird seat with a with a handful of winnable games still on the docket, assuming injuries are not a factor in everything right. that, that we're talking about here. But this is how we, we talk, this is why we always look at things, Chris. You and I do it. From a game to game perspective, say, okay, well, this happened here, but there's still this down the road. Mm-hmm. And you and I have really, we've tried to hammer this home that this, that this schedule was always going to favor them just because of the situations. If that Thursday night game was in Tennessee, I feel differently. Oh, totally. If that Monday night game last week had been in Cleveland, I yeah. might have felt differently. The if December that, Thursday night game against the Patriots, you put that in Foxborough. If that's in Foxborough, loss. Yeah. Yes. In, red, in, in red Sharpie, and I'm not looking at it again until <laughs> that game starts. But this is one of those situations where, like you said, you got to play the schedule that's in front of you. You play the hand that you're dealt. And right now, they're not doing too bad with it, given the circumstance that they face. The fact that they came out of those first two games at 500 is probably a freaking miracle. Yeah. Now you got another win tonight in the, in the circumstances you were faced with. You got a really good shot at one next week. You got a chance to come out of that first quarter poll of the season at three and one with first place on the line. Given how your offense played for the first uh, eight and a half quarters of the season. Yeah, I'll take that. Intrepid producer, Greg Finley. What You wanted to pop in with something. What is it? Come on in, Greg. Yeah, so we were, you guys are talking about the schedule. I'm looking at the Ravens back half of the schedule. Okay. They've got to go to Jacksonville, go to San Francisco, and play a red-hot Miami, and, and then they finish with Pittsburgh. I mean, that is a really tough back schedule for Baltimore after what you were laying out for what the Steelers have in the back schedule. So the, the division's definitely there right now. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how Cincy handles things over the next few weeks, especially if Burrow is less than 100%. And do they decide to sit him down for a week or two to let him get healthy and bring him back? Or do they, does, he, does he insist on playing through it? Because I don't know what does that does. that decision come after tomorrow? Right. Or I should say today because we're into Monday. But right. there's yeah. that too. Yeah, the, the, the division's wide open uh, as it sits right now. <laughs> that Ravens schedule is brutal. I mean, you go that's two, and, you go two and two in those final four, and you're ecstatic. I think yeah, so. That's a tough draw. Uh, but that that's where we're at now. The other side of the coin for everybody that thinks we're going to be that we're being way too sunshiny and rainbows and unicorns and kittens and all that right now. The other side of the coin is they have to maintain this confidence that they've built in their offensive performance in particular tonight has to be maintained in Houston. And, more and it can't turn into arrogance. Right, right, right. It's it, Well, it, I'd almost take a, a, a little bit of a fault from the players anyway, from Kenny Pickett anyway, a little bit on the side of arrogance because I need him to play with confidence like we talked about at the start. I need Kenny Pickett to, to, to you know, whether he's getting under center or standing back in shotgun, I need him to play not with the thought of, um. Hump Kenneth Shane Pickett. Look at me. Look what I can do. But play Kenneth, with the- Kenneth of House Pickett, second of his name. Yeah. I need him to play with. Okay. I know exactly what I want to do here. I'm going to read that safety and then this backer. And if neither one of those first two reads are available, I'm going to dump it off. And if the dump off is there or I've been mm-hmm. rushed, I'm going to break the pocket and go. Or hopefully the pocket's being rolled or moved anyway. Um, I need him to continue to, and Sherry in one of the comments on YouTube said this, and I totally, fully, wholeheartedly agree. They've got to keep that confidence going moving forward because the offense was called tonight, at least it looked like to me. The sequencing that I mentioned on the, the touchdown drive that ended with the pass to Pat Fryermuth included, the offense looked confident in knowing yes. what it wanted to do, knowing its identity. Go into Houston, look at it as an opportunity to refine that identity and really solidify it because 
Then you get a division game and a bye. And like we talked about, whether you're three and two or four and one going into the bye, either way, it's a success. I think three and two is satisfactory. It's a B minus. Hey, you're okay. You're not hurting your GPA. Four and one going into the bye is okay. Um, I, I could skip a couple classes. I'm that good. Uh, but either way, you've got to roll the confidence forward because that's the sense that I got was they knew what they wanted to do and they did it. And if they can continue that much, then I think we continue to get the offense that we saw tonight, which was very reminiscent of the offense we got in the final nine games last year. I think back to uh, a time when this is what, maybe 10 years ago when I was in an entirely different section of the country and I was covering college sports and I talked to a D1 basketball coach and I asked him a very important question just because he was, he was, his team was dealing with some, through some things and they had started to go on a winning streak and you, during that winning streak, you saw some of the bad habits they had gotten rid of, but they started doing mm-hmm. some other things as well. And I asked him a question, basically I asked him, I said, well, does success break confidence or does confidence breed success? Or is it a chicken and egg scenario? Right. And he kind of thought for a second. He said, you know what? I think it's chicken and egg. Because, because there's some things where, you know, you probably need some success in order to have the confidence to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And then there's some things where if you just, you know, you have the confidence to go in and do it, it happens. And then some of the other things come in behind. That's the same way I feel about this offense right now. I think part of it right now with this offense tonight was some of it was they had some success in the run game. And that gave them opportunities to try to open things up in the past game and that worked. And I think some of it was, hey, we know we have to do some things in the past game. We know we got to trust some guys. So let's go out and do it and see how it goes. And I thought that touchdown pass to Calvin Austin was the perfect example of success breeding confidence because they hadn't tried anything like that before that play, or at least anything to that point of having that kind of right. success. But that play, that that success in that play led to some confidence. But some of the run game, or I should say that confidence in that play led to success, but some of the success in the run game, I think, led to confidence that allowed them to make that particular call to throw that pass. So it is yeah. chicken and egg, and I think for them, it's trying to identify which part is the chicken and which part is the egg. Yeah, and and I th- I really do think it's, 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 like we talked about for the last couple of weeks, establish that run game early. It doesn't have to be utterly dominant. Just has to, to do enough, her. right? Just, yeah, exactly. Just yeah. don't be behind the sticks, basically. It, like we saw in the first series, right? Even though they yeah. didn't end up capitalizing on it, just do what you did on that first series and just three three yards at a time. Just give me three, four yards, three, four yards, because that was the first time later in the game this week that we saw Matt Canada go to things like we've talked about, an actual play-action fake mm-hmm. and an actual rollout or bootleg and giving Pickett an opportunity. And someone made the comment on Twitter, I sent it to you and Greg in our group chat, and then I also retweeted it, that Kenny Pickett looks confident when he's on the move because you're cutting off half the field. Yeah. He's only he's only got to think about one half of the field, really, because he's rolling to that side. He's not, he's not worrying about the backside. He knows if he throws the ball backside against the grain, it's getting picked off, yeah, as, exactly. every, as every quarterback above the age of 13 knows if they're worth yep. their salt. You don't do that. So he's focusing on the play in front of him and the front side, and it cuts the reads down. It gives the de- it, it keeps the defenders out of his face because he's rolling and moving now. Um, and this week, this Sunday night win over the Raiders was the first time we saw them do that on multiple occasions. And you have to believe, Josh, that it came because Canada had gained a little bit of confidence in the run game early on. So now that you've gained that confidence – don't forget about it. If if the right. first if the first couple run plays in Houston don't do what you want them to do, don't forget that you're still able to use play action. You're still able to roll out. You're still able to boot. You're still able to move the pocket. You've put it on tape now. You can do it. I think another part of it, I'm glad you mentioned the fact that Matt Canada, he had some confidence in the run game. I also think he had confidence in the offensive line. I think that's part of it too. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think, I don't think this is crazy. Some of the stuff they ran in the second half of this game, it wouldn't have worked against San Francisco. It wouldn't have worked against Cleveland because the offensive line wasn't giving them the kind of protection and space and time to make those kind of plays, to call those kind of plays. Oh, the Steelers' offense looks so predictable. Yeah, because they can't block a split zone duo right now. You expect them to try to block a rollout play 
So can he, can he pick it? Can make a play 10, 15 yards downfield? They can't block the guys in front of them straight back. And they're supposed to move and do that? It just wasn't working the right. way you wanted it to. But when you saw them start doing the small things well, now you're like, okay, we are doing some of the small things. Let's try some of the big things. And I'm glad you mentioned the fact about the run game because, yeah, they weren't necessarily moving the chains consistently in the first two drives, but there was nothing in those first two drives to lead them to believe that they couldn't do it down the road. Because if you're getting yards in three to four yard chunks when you're running the ball, it may not always result in a first down in every drive, but guess what? Over time, during the course of the game, it's going to benefit you more and more as the game goes along with more opportunities that you have. And those opportunities got cut real short in that first game. Because after the first yeah. quarter, there was no use running the ball. The yeah, second and, quarter, it became a little bit little bit more of a window, but it didn't stay open as well. And again, that's it, directly what led, to bring us full circle back to where we started, it's directly what led to that six play, six or seven play touchdown drive that ended in the touchdown pass to Pat Fryermuth. Exactly. Is you had successfully run the ball earlier. You successfully ran the ball on that drive, including the, the, the play previously to Najee. And so you were able to actually use the play action and your offensive line actually blocked it up. And all and you the, had thrown down the middle of the field. Yes. You'd thrown a quick hitter to Pickens to start that drive. You dumped it off to Warren in the middle to, to keep the drive moving. Everything came together and started to feel like they were looking again, like they had looked at times in the preseason and like they had looked in the final nine games last year. So this is, this is good news for the offense. It's only yes. 23 points and it's against the Raiders. I get it, but it's another win while you continue to try to watch this thing congeal and come together and W's while you're doing that are a whole hell of a lot better than L's. So Take the W's like Jameis, um, uh, eat them up <laughs> and keep moving on to Houston next week. Uh, again, if you're watching this live, we appreciate it on the 93.7 The Fan YouTube page or on 93.7 The Fan's Twitter account. Much appreciated. If you're getting this as the recorded version, the podcast put up later, we appreciate that as well. Just make sure you're subscribed, okay? Either way, if you're on the YouTube page right now, in fact, click on that little notification bell right below where it says fourth down in the Steel City, uh, right next to the 93.7 The Fan logo. Click on subscribe, and you'll get notified every time new videos are up because most of our episodes go up as videos on YouTube as well. If you prefer to get the audio-only version because this face ain't doing it for you, trust me, <laughs> you wouldn't be the only one. <laughs> by all means, subscribe inside your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We will talk to you again after the Mike Tomlin press conference on Tuesday. Between now and then, make sure to keep it right here. Locked in as the Steelers beat the Raiders 23-18 in Vegas. Thanks to Greg Finley, our producer. Thanks to Josh Taylor for joining me late at night after a Steelers win in week three right here on 4th Down in the Steel City.